1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 41. Let's hear the word of God once again. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. And it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Let's pray. Lord, once again we thank you for the Holy Scriptures and we pray that you would open up the meaning of them to us by your Spirit again this night that we may be made wise not only unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, but we may be wise to live our lives here in such a way that like Elijah we bring honour and glory to your great name. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. This is the sequel to Mount Carmel. On Mount Carmel, Baal has been humiliated. The prophets have been ridiculed. And now the evil of those false prophets has been removed from the land. They have been put to death by Brook Kishon. The Lord has been vindicated. He has answered by fire. And the sacrifice prepared by Elijah, doused with those jars of water, has been accepted, has been consumed as fire has descended from heaven. Ahab has watched all of this. He has been pretty much a spectator because he has been rendered powerless by the Lord. He's observed the judgments of God. Perhaps when Elijah first appeared to him in chapter 17 and verse 1, some three and a half years before, and said, as the Lord God of Israel lives, there will be neither rain nor dew except at my word. Perhaps he doubted that. Because he had a very low opinion of Elijah. But surely now he is convinced because there has been no rain, no dew, these past three and a half years. You remember his desperate search with Obadiah, the party company. He went one way and Obadiah went the other way in search of pasture for their horses and their mules. But there is no sign of repentance on the part of Ahab. 
when Elijah appeared to him a second time, Ahab had the audacity to say, you're the troubler in Israel. And of course Elijah turned that round and said, no, you and your fathers, you are the ones who are the troublers. You are the ones who have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals. And Elijah exposes Ahab as that troubler of Israel in chapter 18 and verse 18. But again, there is no sign of any change of heart in Ahab. And then on Mount Carmel, Baal is confronted, shown to be no God at all. He'd seen the fire fall on Elijah's sacrifice. He heard his prayer to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. He heard the response of the people. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And he was not able to lift one finger to prevent the death of the prophets of Baal that he had probably appointed himself. And Ahab is still, after all of this, unmoved in his heart. There is no sign of him bowing down and falling on his face and crying out, The Lord, he is God. This is the sequel, as we say, to Mount Carmel. But it is really not the climax of the chapter. The climax of the chapter are the verses that we have read where the rain falls. Up until this point there was drought and famine, widespread. And now the Lord has spoken to Elijah again. The words are recorded in chapter 18 and verse 1. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. In one sense, Mount Carmel is not the key thing, but it's the story that we remember best. The whole thing is to discredit Baal, to show that the Lord is God, and then the rain will come at the word of God's servant, Elijah. I would suggest to you that verses 41 and 46, although it may not be immediately obvious, is about the grace of God to Ahab and to Israel, but especially Ahab. Three ways in which that grace is displayed as the Lord reveals himself to Ahab. That grace is displayed in the fact that the Lord will send the rain, verse 41. Secondly, that the Lord will send that rain in answer to Elijah's prayers. And then thirdly, and perhaps the most mysterious way of all, is that the Lord will show his grace as he empowers Elijah to run ahead of Ahab. That's a strange thing. But we'll come to that in a moment. So first of all then, let's look at the way in which grace is displayed to Ahab in that the Lord will send rain. In verse 41, Elijah says to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Ahab, again, is being told what to do. He's powerless. He just has to do what Elijah tells him to do. He has no answers to Elijah at all. When he says there is the sound of the abundance of rain, 
What does he mean? There's no rain falling. Does he hear it in his mind? Or does he know that it's going to happen by faith? Uh, it's not absolutely clear, but Elijah says, there is the sound of the abundance of rain. This is what it's all about. This is what Carmel has been leading to. And Elijah has not mentioned rain up to this point to Ahab. Everything is focused on the judgment of Baal on Mount Carmel. But why had that drought come? Let's remind ourselves. It had lasted for some three years and it was because of Ahab's wickedness. You remember, Jeroboam's sin was nothing, trivial. And then he introduced this Baal worship sponsored by his own consul, the Queen Jezebel. And he had done more to provoke God to anger than any of the kings before him. Drought that came was without any question a sign of God's judgment because of his sin. It was part of the curse of the broken covenant. In Deuteronomy in chapter 11 we read in verse 13 And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, says the Lord, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil, and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then notice, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. And that's not just an isolated passage in the laws of Moses. That is a repeated refrain. Drought is a judgment of God on the land because of Ahab's wickedness. His heart has been deceived. He's taken to Baal worship. He's turned to other gods and serving and worshipping them. How then is God's grace displayed in the fact that the Lord will send rain? There's no evidence of repentance at this point in the heart of Ahab. And yet the Lord says he will send rain. That's grace. That's grace. He is the God who gives graciously. He has said that he would give it. He promised it in chapter 18 and verse 1. And once Baal has been confronted and humiliated and shown to be no, of no effect whatsoever and not really the God of fertility at all, then God is going to send the rain. The Lord is going to send the rain. He is the giver of life. He is the giver of rain. And rain means life. Without water there is only death. You may remember the words in Psalm 104. that When God waters the earth, he gives drink to every beast of the field. That's Ahab's horses and mules. He causes the grass to grow for cattle. Vegetation for the service of man. That he may bring forth food from the earth. 
wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens his heart. This is God's goodness being restored. This is God's blessing upon the nation. They at least have acknowledged the Lord, he is God. But Ahab hasn't. And he's the leader. He is the leader of the nation. He is the king. But God, in his grace, says, it will rain. And I will bless the land again with rain. This is the undeserved kindness and goodness and mercy of God. This is sheer favour of God. And it's in the face of Israel's sin and Ahab's idolatry. And it follows fast on the divine judgment upon Baal. But it is a sign that God is still willing to bestow blessing upon Israel and show his goodness to Ahab, even though Ahab has not seemingly moved one step further in terms of turning his heart toward God. And so the kindness and the grace of God to Ahab is a call, a further call for him to repent of his sin. You remember how Paul speaks of the goodness of God in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. He said, the goodness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. And he highlights the divine forbearance, the divine long-suffering. This is the king who has done more to provoke God to anger than any other king up to this point. And God is willing to show this man grace, kindness, in order to move his heart back to serving him and away from his false worship. You see, grace pursues Ahab. God in grace pursues him. He is after him to win him back You remember how Elijah prayed in verse 37 of this chapter. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you've turned their hearts back to you again. That was his prayer. That was his concern for Ahab. And the very fact that God was going to bring rain is an indication of the divine favour. And it's the same God. It's the same grace. It's the same long-suffering that has been shown to us, to you, to me, in our daily life. The food you eat and the blessing of God upon your life is an indication of His kindness. Of course, His kindness comes to supreme expression, the giving of His Son. He did not withhold Him did not hold him back. He freely gave us his son and with his son all things. But this God is gracious. He gives what we need to sustain body and soul. He sustains our life. Judgments may strike cause and cause terror in our hearts. They warn us. But at the end of the day it is God's goodness. It is God's grace that melts our hearts and makes us see just how kind God is. And it is that grace that is now being displayed to wicked Ahab. And yet, there is no apparent change 
in his heart. The second way in which God displays his grace to Ahab is that he sends rain in answer to Elijah's prayers. We read in verse 42, Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. And it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud, as small as a man's hand, rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And it happened in the meanwhile. The sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. The Lord sends rain, but he does so in answer to Elijah's prayers. And that is again a way of displaying grace to Ahab. See, Baal was meant to be a god of the storm, a god of the rain, a god of fertility. But no bolts of lightning had appeared on Mount Carmel to consume that sacrifice of the prophets of Baal. All their cattle walling come to nothing. Now Elijah announces the sound of the abundance of rain to Ahab. He can go and eat. Elijah will go and pray to the Lord God of heaven. And Elijah is seen by Ahab to go to the top of Carmel to pray. This is the Lord who sends the rain, not Baal. And Elijah is the servant of God. There's no question about that. He's made that quite clear to Ahab. Ahab knows that this man can do things that he cannot do. That he has a way with God that Ahab certainly does not have. And Ahab is going to see the effects of this man of God, this servant of God, interceding for the nation, interceding in order that God will send the rain. And this is a revelation of the Lord God to Ahab. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, who answers the prayers of his servant Elijah. Leave Ahab just for a moment. Look at this man, Elijah, in prayer. We've said that Ahab is powerless. There's a sense in which Elijah is also helpless and powerless. He is totally dependent upon the Lord. Did he have power to raise a widow's son from death? No. What did he do? In chapter 17 and verses 20 and 21, he cried out unto God. Did he have power to bring fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice? No, he must pray. Verses 36 and 37 of this chapter, we've already read part of that prayer. And here, does he have power to make it rain? Is he some sort of magician? Is he like the magicians of Egypt? Not at all. He is God's servant and he is calling upon God to act. He must pray and see his humble posture. He bows down on the ground, verse 42. He puts his face between his knees. We hear no specific words of prayer. 
But we know that this man lays hold of God. He had those words in Deuteronomy chapter 11 that we read earlier, verses 13 to 17, what would happen with regard to the blessing on the land and the drought that would follow disobedience. He had those words of Solomon in Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 35. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Elijah, a man of God, would have been familiar with that prayer of Solomon and he would have made that also a part, the basis of his praying. But he also had that specific promise of God in chapter 18 and verse 1. Go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. These are words to Elijah, God's words. So he makes that the basis of his prayer. Now, we have here a mini theology of prayer. Why did Elijah pray when God had already promised that it would rain? Did he need to pray? God said, you go to Ahab. I'm going to send rain. But there's no rain without Elijah's prayers. Let's consider that just for a moment. God has promised Elijah, Elijah, I'm going to send rain. But the same God who sent to Elijah, I'm going to send the rain, is the same God who wills and plans that rain falls in answer to his prayers. God has ordained prayer. God will have his people to take the time and the effort to pray and to lay hold of God according to his word. His will is certain. His promise is sure. But the Lord delights to act in answer to the prayers of his people. And the reason for that is not hard to see. It teaches us that God delights in hearing us. Yeah, God takes delight in hearing us. And prayer is the way we learn to express our dependence upon God. It's the way we learn to trust Him according to His promises. It's the way we learn faith. It's the way we learn obedience. The Lord seems to love, if I may put it this way, to give way to the prayers of His people. Is his chosen way to give us what he has promised. And Elijah here perseveres in prayer. Effective, persevering prayer. Seven times he sends his servant to look out on the Mediterranean Sea from the top of Mount Carmel. Are there any clouds? Any sign of rain? Seven times. And then on the seventh time, his servant comes back and says, I see a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. 
He persisted in prayer. He laid hold of God. Did he have any doubts? First time, second time? Seven times is a lot. Three's, you know, quite a bit. Paul prayed three times that the thorn in his flesh might be removed. Elijah prayed seven times. Six times there was no apparent answer. And then the seventh, there was this small cloud the size of a hand rising out of the sea. But Elijah laid hold of God because he believed that God had promised the rain. Do we pray like that? Do you persist in prayer? He is commended in James chapter 5 verses 17 and 18 as a man of prayer. He prayed that it would not rain then he prayed that it would rain. And James gives him credit and says this is, this is how we are to pray. Do you pray that way as an individual? Do we pray that way as a church? Do you pray that way in your family? Are you familiar with laying hold upon God? Ahab was a complete stranger to that. Elijah was not. This was something familiar to him as God's servant. You sometimes pray as if you're trying to get blood out of a stone. That isn't the way that our Lord taught us to pray. He said, you ask, you seek, you knock. We're not praying to a father who is unwilling to give. He's a father. He's a father. He teaches us. You know, if we ask for bread, he said, what kind of father is it that gives you a stone to it? God is willing. The father is willing. Ask, seek, knock. That is the way in which we learn to pray. That's the way we are filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's the way we express our dependence upon God. And he delights to hear us and desire our desire that his will may be fulfilled. That's the way we grow in faith, we grow in love, we grow in zeal. That's the way God is glorified in us and by us. If he simply answered and we never prayed, we would never return the praise and glory to him. We just think, it happens that way. But no, he would have us understand the way it happens. He would have us call upon him. Let's return then to Ahab. Ahab is witness to the kind of man that Elijah is and the kind of God that the Lord God of Israel is. That Lord God of Israel had said there will be neither rain nor dew except at the word of my servant Elijah. And now that word had come to pass. Elijah says to Ahab, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. The Lord is about to display his power and his blessing, Ahab, and he will do it in answer to the prayers of me, his servant. And Ahab is witness to those things. Whether Ahab was there on Mount Carmel, actually with uh, Elijah is not absolutely certain. I doubt if that was the case. It seems to be that Elijah and his servant are there alone. But Ahab knows what is going on. Elijah has told him what he is doing. And then he is told at the end of it, as this small hand appears in the sky, 
he is told, prepare your chariot, verse 44, go down before the rain stops you, and then the sky becomes black with clouds, the wind begins to blow, and everybody there knows it's about to pour with rain. And Ahab knows why it's raining. He knows it's raining because of this man who's been there on Mount Carmel who said it's not going to rain, there's going to be no dew except of my word. This is the way God works. And Ahab sees this. This is the king, remember, who has led this nation astray. He has introduced great evil into the life of the nation. He's a king who has deceived in his own heart. He is now seeing and hearing the work of God. He is seeing God's faithful servant, Elijah. Is not Elijah's praying for rain a further call to Ahab to repent? Is not grace again pursuing Ahab and confronting him with the God of grace? Don't you think that Elijah prayed for Ahab? We're not told precisely the content of his prayer. But if he prayed for the turning of the hearts of the nation, surely he prayed for the turning of the heart of Ahab. There's a Christ-likeness about Elijah. This man is zealous for the Lord of hosts. That's a testimony of his own lips later on in chapter 19. He has been pained by the sins of the people and by the sin and wickedness of Ahab. And yet he prays in accordance with the will of God that God's goodness and kindness will again be displayed, that he will preserve the life of this nation. You see, it would be very easy for Elijah to have turned inward. You remember when Jonah was sent to Nineveh? And the first thing he did was find a ship to Tarshish. He wasn't going to Nineveh to declare the grace of God. They didn't deserve it. Because we know he went to Nineveh and proclaimed God's grace. But Jonah cramped up his heart. He closed his heart. He refused to take the message of grace and mercy and repentance to Nineveh. But there is a God-like goodness about Elijah. A Christ-like grace about Elijah. He is living alone in the midst of so much wickedness. So much evil. But he does not cramp his heart and tighten his heart and close his heart. He is as gracious as God is gracious. He is as kind as Christ is kind. How easy it is for us to harden our hearts against men and women who themselves are hard in heart and refuse to believe. and say, oh, I've had enough of them. I don't want any more to do with them. I'm going to give up on them. How easy it would have been for Elijah to have done that. Jonah did it. He was not going to Nineveh. But Elijah did not refuse to pray for them. It pained him. It was like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was so pained. Read Lamentations as that man pours out his grief and sorrow over the nation of Israel. God's grace then is being displayed in this man, Elijah, who prays 
for the nation. Praise that the rain will come. This is again evidence of God's grace to unbelieving Ahab. And then thirdly, God's grace to Ahab is displayed in the fact that it is the Lord who empowers Elijah to run. We are told, interestingly, look at the words carefully in verse 46, the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. That's when we speak of the hand of God, we're talking about the power of God, the omnipotent power of God. And he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance to Jezreel. Now this, I admit, is a strange thing. What's going on here? Well, it has been variously explained, but I'm not going to go through all the various explanations to you. But the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. He hitched up his clothes and he ran. And this was no hundred yard sprint. This was a more than half a marathon. This was 16 or 17 miles. And it wasn't around the track. It was over down a mountain and then off to Jezreel. And the remarkable thing, and he must have run for, well, the best marathon runner would have run 16, 17 miles in about an hour and a half. If the hand of the Lord came upon him and empowered him to run, the remarkable thing is that he outrun Ahab in a chariot with horses. The hand of the Lord came upon this man. The God who can send fire from heaven can make a prophet run and outrun a king. Ahab sees all this. Again, it's a revelation of God's power to him. Ahab has seen the fire from heaven fall. Ahab has seen the rain from heaven fall in answer to the prayers of Elijah. And now he sees a strange demonstration of the power of God. The Spirit of God so gives strength to Elijah, his own servant, the one to whom the word of the Lord came, that Ahab again is made to realise there's just no way I can outmanoeuvre this guy. He's won up on me on every single occasion. I can't even beat him in a chariot with horses. God so strengthens him that he outruns me all the way to Jezreel. We've seen Ahab has been rendered powerless, but you would think now, all this is over, at least he'd get back first to Jezreel. Oh no. Ahab gets there first. Because the Spirit of God empowers him. You know, it's, it's amazing when you look at chapter 18. Ahab is a powerless spectator. He only speaks once. And that's to accuse Elijah of being the trouble of Israel. And immediately it's thrown back in his face. No, you are the one. You hear nothing more. He does exactly what he is told. And even at the very last, when he returns to Jezreel, he still can't get one up on Ahab. God overcomes him. And God gives power to his servant, Elijah. And he outruns him. And outruns his horse and his chariot. God, you see, is with Elijah in everything that he does. But it's God speaking to Ahab. It's God pursuing his conscience. 
It's God exhibiting grace and kindness to Ahab. The rain has come, Ahab. God is showing his blessing to you despite your wickedness. Is Ahab going to yet willingly submit himself to God's servant and to God's word that comes to uh, comes through his servant. You see here that God is exercising his lordship. He is the one who is in control of the situation. He was the one who was present on Mount Carmel. He is the one who is present with his servant Elijah. He is the one who has spoken with authority and with his word. There will be neither rain nor dew except the word of my servant Elijah. You see, that's the Lord exercising his control. But he's showing it all to Ahab. If Ahab will only turn from his sin and turn from his wicked rebellion and his Baal worship, then God will be gracious to him. This man is the troublemaker in Israel, but God will be gracious to him. Is he going to humble himself before this God? Is he going to forsake his wicked ways? He's seen God's judgment and now he sees God's grace and God's goodness. Will he repent? Will he return to the Lord? You know the answer. In chapter 19 and verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. That's a very different story. He's back under her control. Elijah, you better watch out. But that's another sermon. We spent three sermons dealing with this chapter. It really belongs together, this chapter 18. Because we have here in this chapter, culminating in the abundance of rain that falls in blessing upon the nation that is so wicked and has such a wicked king, you have here a powerful revelation of God to an apostate people and an apostate king. Here is a chapter where God's reputation, God's honour, God's glory is at stake. The fire from heaven is not the main event. It prepares the way for the rain. That is the main event. And judgment on the gods of this world, and on Baal in particular, prepares the way for God's grace and God's goodness to be displayed. And God shows himself to be the real God. He is the one who sends rain. He is the giving God. He is the gracious God. He is the God who sustains life and limb. He was able to raise the widow's son from death. And he is the one who is able to give life by sending life-giving rain to a nation that is under the curse of death because of drought. And his claims to be the Lord are truly vindicated. It is visible. It is unmistakable. What could be more dramatic than fire from heaven? To prove that he is the true and living God. And what could be more dramatic than that day when the sky became black and the heavens opened 
And there was a deluge in answer to the prayers of God's servant, Elijah. The God who sends fire to convert the hearts of wicked Israel is the same God who daily provides food and rain to feed our bodies. That's the God of Elijah. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. That's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, isn't it, that Elijah intercedes for this nation intercedes for Ahab. He prays. That sounds very much like a hint, doesn't it, towards Christ, who prays, who comes, and intercedes on our behalf. But the thing that I want to focus and to drive home is this. This chapter, chapter 18, is a chapter where God's grace God's marvellous grace, God's wonderful grace. We sometimes use those words and we we don't fully grasp the significance of them, but it is marvellous, it is wonderful grace. It is displaying to a wicked, wretched king. He is reduced to being a spectator. But this man was the man who promoted Baal. This was the man who had this building program in Samaria. This is the man who participated and sponsored the worship driven on by his wife Jezebel. This was the man who stood still while his wife massacred many of the prophets of the Lord. This is the man who regarded Elijah as his number one enemy and sent his agents out throughout the surrounding nations. Do you have Elijah anywhere? And was willing to pay them if they would give him information as to the whereabouts of this man. And yet we see no repentance on the part of Ahab. Yet God is gracious. God in his grace is pursuing this man. He sends his servant. He purges evil out of the land. He sends the rain. He shows He shows Ahab who is the one true and living God. It is grace, sheer grace. The tragedy is, Ahab is not moved in his heart to respond to that grace. There was a king in Judah after Ahab, the son of Hezekiah, a man called Manasseh, 55 years of wickedness. And I think one could say that he outdid Ahab. He's mentioned in the same breath as Ahab in Kings. He outdid Ahab in his wickedness. And yet we find in Chronicles that God displayed his grace to Manasseh and forgave him and restored him to kingship even after being dragged away to Babylon. There was mercy for Manasseh. There was mercy and there was grace for Ahab. But he would have none of it. How could he have gone back to Jezebel and said, The Lord, he is God. 
I think that was one of the reasons why he did not repent, although we are not expressly told so. I want to leave a question with you. How well do you understand and appreciate the grace of God to you as a sinful creature? How well do you understand the character, the heart of God as he displays his goodness and his power, his judgment and his grace to this wicked man Ahab? Do you understand the character of those to whom God offers freely his grace? You may not be as wicked as Ahab. But sin so fills your heart and mind that you are averse by nature to the things of God and the things of Christ. You see, there is built in us always that tendency to think in terms of our worthiness, our human goodness. We are, after all, better than other people, aren't we? until the Spirit of God strikes into our consciences and convicts us of our sin and our rebellion and our guiltiness and uncleanness before God. We don't understand either the character of God or the nature of our own sin. And we don't understand the grace of God. My friends, the same grace that was shown to Ahab is the same grace that has been shown to you and if your heart has been subdued and that grace has won over your heart then it is all due to the God of grace nothing nothing that you have done or can do or would do or think you would do cancels out the grace of God it is sovereign grace from beginning to end you owe your salvation from beginning to end to God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I would ask you, has your heart been melted? Not hardened like Ahab, but melted with a sense of love for God and a zeal for his honour and his glory, has grace so gripped hold of your heart that there is nothing more that you desire than to serve him, than to live unto Christ in this hostile world. Look at Elijah and see his single-minded determination to stand for God to stand for his word, to stand for his worship, to stand for his grace, as well as for his judgment. In the face of much grace, it was a personal confrontation between Elijah and Ahab. And Elijah would look him in the eye. I doubt very much if Ahab was able to look Elijah in the eye. But Elijah as a bold servant of God could. But he could do so because he understood the grace of God. He himself was a recipient of that grace. That's what made him God's servant. 
But may God grant to us that single-minded love and zeal for the Lord God of hosts that we might serve him faithfully in this wicked generation. Amen. O Lord, we would magnify your grace. We would magnify the love of Jesus Christ, his willingness to suffer, to bleed, to die in our place, to suffer the shame and degradation of the cross. What humiliation, what sorrow, what grief was his as he was wounded for our transgressions. Lord, we thank you for your long-suffering towards us, for your grace and your goodness that has brought us to repentance. Grant then, our God, that our hearts will be moved to love you and to serve you with a zeal for your honour and your glory, as Elijah did. Lord, so be gracious to us and enable us to be men and women of God in this wicked generation in which we live, that Christ may be honoured and glorified in our lives and through this church. We pray for his sake. Amen. Amen.